Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. I hope that this week has been great for you. Actually, I hope that on Monday, you just had some family time. Uh, Last Sunday, you had some family time. And speaking of last Sunday, if you were not here last Sunday, do yourself a favor. Jump on to this week, whether you're on the treadmill or maybe cutting the grass or whatever, jump onto the Burning Creek podcast and check out Colonel Ellis's message last week on just God's character, God's provision. It's about time, there's some good content on that podcast. That's all I can say uh, on that. But jump on there and check it out because his message last week was really, really good. Uh, Really timely. Listen, if you haven't been here this week, let me just welcome you into a series that we're doing on Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. Over the summer, what we've been doing is we've been kind of plotting through these three chapters and looking at this idea on the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, we are launching into Matthew chapter 7. So if you've got a copy of scripture this morning and you want to go ahead and get there, we're going to start our journey in Matthew chapter 7. Let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer this morning. It's only going to be the first little bit. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through this chapter because there's a lot in this chapter. Now, the Sermon on the out. Let me give you the reminder because we were off last week. The Sermon on the Mount is this teaching that Jesus gave to his primarily his disciples, but also to those that were gathered around him on this idea that there is a way as a believer in Jesus that we can live the fulfilled life, that we can live this, this flourishing life, this absolutely blessed life. Now, I'm not talking about give me a jet and a Rolls Royce blessed life, but I am talking about the blessed life that God says, hey, when you step into a relationship with me, you have the ability to live to your fullest, to live to your greatest, uh, uh, the greatest opportunity that you can. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is offering you. And it's offering me. And what Jesus does in here is that in Matthew chapter 5, he starts with this whole idea of the blessed R's. It's the Beatitudes if you grew up in church. He moves into this idea that we're blessed when we operate as the salt and the light of Jesus and tell other people who he is. He gives us this idea that we are blessed when we step into the righteousness that God has given us. Do you know that when you give your life to Jesus... That he not only forgives your past, he not only forgives your present, but he gives you forgiveness for all time. And he says that this righteousness that you have now, that you now can operate not to get that righteousness. That's faith. That's works-based salvation. But you can operate in that righteousness. He's offered that to us in Matthew chapter 6. We see all through here that that we're to operate in this kingdom ethic that, that we no longer have to worry about stuff or we don't have to worry about things. Why? Because God loves us and God gives to us and God wants to shower his presence on us. That's been what we've been looking at over these last couple of weeks. Now, this week, 
as we move into chapter 7, Jesus stays with this theme of kingdom ethic, of kingdom living. But if you'll notice in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with this idea of how it can be blessed personally. He moves into this idea of dealing with my stuff. That's kind of been these last couple of weeks and not worrying. And this week in chapter 7, Jesus moves into this idea of how I can deal with other people. With other people. Now, I don't know about you, but let me speak for myself just for a minute. Let me just be really gut level honest and tell you this. People are hard. People are hard to me. People are hard to you. In fact, I heard one preacher say this, and this is not a pastor here at this church, but he's somewhere else. He said, man, I love ministry. I love doing God's work. I love teaching God's word. It's just the people I hate. (laughs) But you know what? I think that's the sentiment of a lot of us. Because when it gets down to it, the reality is, is that, man, people are hard. They really are. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he jumps into what I'm going to call one of the hardest balancing acts of all time. And he gives us in this text one of the most misused verses in the whole Bible. One of the misunderstood verses in the whole Bible. In fact, I got to thinking this week, if we had to stamp a favorite verse... Like if we had to boil the whole Bible down into one favorite verse for Christians, for believers in Jesus, it would probably be something like John 3.16, right? It's the end zone verse. Every football game you see, it's in the end zone somewhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should have should not perish, but have eternal life. That, that would probably boil down to probably one of the most favorite verses of all time. Why? Because as a believer, it gives me hope. As a believer, it gives me promise. As a believer, it gives me this offer of Jesus giving me eternal life and giving me promise and giving me hope and giving me faith. And, and as a believer, I would probably say that's probably the, the most famous or the most, I guess, used verse of all time. But I got to thinking this week, what is the most used verse of our culture? What is the most used verse of those who don't know Jesus? And it would probably be the first verse that we're about to look at right here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let me just read it to you. It's Jesus speaking. I know that because it's in red in my Bible. It says this. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, I'm telling you, even if you don't read the Bible, you've memorized this verse. <laughs> even if you don't care about the Bible, even if you don't believe the Bible, you at some point in some crashing time in your life, you have used this verse. And it's the favorite verse of our culture in 2021. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to answer it. All right? Here's why. I think the first reason why is because when you misuse this verse, and when you don't understand this verse, this verse frees people up to chase after whatever desire they want to have. It's what it does. Secondly, when you misuse this verse, this takes the moral authority away from God and it puts it on the individual. We become, in a sense, God when we misuse this verse because we make the rules now. We make the judgment calls now. 
When we misuse this verse, do you know what it does? It throws the accountability system of what God has put in place in our lives as believers out the window. It throws it out the window. Why? Because I'm looking at you and I'm saying, you can't judge me. I am in control of my destiny. I am in control of who I am. Do you know what happens when you misuse this verse? It keeps the rules fluid, doesn't it? It keeps things of, I can now, oh, you may have heard this one before, I can now follow my heart. Because my heart is the authority, right? I don't know about you, but when I follow my heart, a lot of times it ends up in a bad place. But that's what people do. That's why this is the favorite verse of our culture. This is why if MTV did an award this year for the favorite verse, it would be this verse. Why? Because this idea of judging is such a big deal right now. It's even filtered down into our kids, right? I mean, I've got, one of a, I've got a kid in my house, I'm not going to say which kid, um, that... They came down one day ready to go to school looking like an absolute clown. Um, and I looked at him and I was like, what are you doing? Now, now look, I, I don't know fashion, obviously. Give me some plaid and I'm okay, right? But I knew this was not going to work, right? And I was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And all I got back is, why are you judging me? And I was like, oh, we're going to go there? Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? I, I loved, I mean, I coached baseball for a long time. Between playing and coaching baseball, this is the first season since I was like four. That It's just not part of my life right now. But I remember this one kid that played ball with us a long time ago. I'm not going to say a name because they're, they're in the community. But this kid did not want to be there. I mean, he was living out some dream that his dad had for him. And it was not working out well for anybody. Um, all right? I mean, not enough snow cones on this planet mattered at this point for this kid. And I remember one day we were down by like one run. He was up up to bat. It was bases loaded. This kid strikes out. I mean, not even caring. I'm just talking about like, okay. And he walks over to the dugout. And I'm going to tell you something about myself. I'm one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet on this planet. I don't care if it's tiddlywinks or the World Series. I want to win. All right. And so this kid strikes out and he's walking over and I'm on my normal stance on the bucket because that's what you do as a coach. And I'm looking at him and I was so frustrated, but I knew you couldn't say anything to this kid. He looks at me and goes, don't judge me, coach. And I was like, that's literally my job is to judge you right now for what you just did. But listen, this idea of judging, man, it's a big one in our context. And it's why this verse is one of the misused verses in the Bible. To which is the reason there's a whole lot of people in your life right now that will look at you in the face and say, hey, Jesus says not to judge me. To which I would just say, well, Kinda, <laughs> all right, kinda. All right, well, thanks, Pastor. They're not supposed to say kinda, right? I would just say this, context matters. You know, I don't know how many times I've said this as I've been teaching over these last years, but, but can I just beg you to know that every single word of the Bible matters? Every word. There is not a word you need to skip. Every word matters. The meaning of every word matters. Every word is inspired by God for a reason. But not only does every word matters, context matters. In fact, any theology course you ever take on this planet starts with this phrase, text without context is nothing but pretext. It's not. You know what that means? 
That means that you have to look at not only every word, but you have to look at the things that are around that word, the context in which this has been spoken. And in this case, we have to know that it is Jesus speaking in the book of Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount in the greater context of the New Testament and the greater context of the whole story of God. And we do not have the right to pull out one word without the rest of the context and say, see, I'm proving a point. That's what that means. So I want to camp out on something this morning that I really think we need some clarity on. And it's this word judge. This word judge. Because I just really think that that's our problem with the text. Now look, the text does not have a problem. It's of God. The problem comes in our understanding of the text. Or I guess I could probably say our misunderstanding of the text. So let me talk about this word judge for a minute. It's a huge word. It is huge. Absolutely. Actually, it's one of the largest used words in the whole Bible. And there are so many ways this word is used. You, as a Bible student, need to know which one at which time is it using. Now, on one side, all right, let me say this. On one side, to judge means for me to measure something, all right? Am I going to hit the five iron or the six iron? I need to judge that. It means a judicial judgment. It means to discern what is right and wrong. It means to make the call whether something is godly or not godly. That's what judge means. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, the Bible promotes every single one of those things. It is very clear that we as believers in Jesus, we need to call evil for evil. We need to call good, good. That is part of who we are. But on the other side, over here, judge can mean to rule with a critical spirit, okay, and a condemning heart. Now, I want you to feel these two things. On this side, it's just calling evil, evil, good, good. On this side, it is critical, condemning, and causing personal judgment on someone, and a judgmental spirit. Now, we have to know which one Jesus is talking about right here to speak intelligently about the text, and this is tough. This is really tough, but let me just tell you that you can take that word in your Bible, judge, in this context. I want you to put a circle around it. You can put a little line out to the side, and if you want to write the word condemn, if you want to write that out there, God is totally cool with that. Because that's what this means in this case. In fact, you could read the verse by saying this. Do not have a condemning attitude. All right, that's what it means. Do not have a condemning attitude. Do not have a critical spirit. Do not have a condemning spirit or you will be condemned. That's what it says. You see, this is really important today because in our culture, they don't get this. Because here's, I, I just need you to feel this. Jesus clearly in this text says that we should not be condemning anyone. We shouldn't. That is not our role. God is the judge, right? We should not be the condemner. He says, get rid of the critical heart. But on the other side, Jesus is really clear that we should call evil for what it is. And that is evil. Now, here's what I know. There's tension in that. 
There's tension in it because it's real easy to fall off of either side of that mountain. It's real easy to not walk in wisdom when it comes to this. In fact, it's so hard because the Bible uses the same word judge for both of these contexts. In fact, I wanna, let me just read you a couple of them, what Paul says. On one hand, the Bible says this, Romans 14 verse 12. Listen to what he says about condemning. He says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That's the word condemn. To which all, I can hear some of you say, Matt, don't judge me. Okay? Touche. That is what it says. I should not condemn you. What, what about half-brother of Jesus? James 4.12. Therefore, there's only one lawgiver and judge. The one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, if you don't know what the word judge means right there, you're like, well, man, who am I to step out? To which culture says, that's right, stay out of my life. Okay, what's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying very clearly in those two verses that we should not have a critical heart, a critical spirit, a condemning spirit to those around us. To which all of us in culture is like, see, I told you, Matt, the Bible says don't judge. But wait, there's more to the story. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Let's look at the other side. Look at what it says. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, if someone is caught in sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. What does that mean? That means that it is our role, if someone is in relationship with us, when they are in sin, to be able to step into their lives and restore them through a system of restoration. We're seeing we can't just ignore it. We can't just say it. maybe it'll get better. There is a sense that we do need to be involved. Also, John 1, 4, do friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because there are many false prophets have gone into the world. Listen, if we are not here to see what is right and what is wrong, we cannot tell what is from God and what is not from God. On one side, we're seeing it. What about Jesus? Man, I start reading these, these things through the, the lens of Jesus and think about this. Half of Jesus' conversations with the Pharisees went something like this. That that's sin. That's sin. Didn't they? They did. And in fact, there was a day that the Pharisees called Jesus out for healing somebody on the Sabbath day. In John chapter 7 verse 24, number one, it's always just a good point not to call Jesus out. Um, but listen to what he says. John chapter 7 verse 24, he says, <laughs> Jesus says this, stop judging by mere appearances. See, Matt, I told you, don't judge. Hang on. But instead, Judge correctly. So you're seeing there is a tension here. You're seeing, you read the first verse, and you're like, see, Matt, I told you, it's not our role to judge. You read the second verse, you're like, man, Jesus is telling me to judge correctly. Is the Bible speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No, it is not. Why? Because the Bible needs you to know what this word judge means when the time comes. In fact, I want you to write this principle down because it's gonna help you. Here's the principle. By no means is the Bible directing believers not to call sin for what it is. It's sin. But it is also directing us to do it with the right attitude and listen really closely, the right motive. The right attitude and motive. Here's where the problem lies. The problem lies is that we don't ever seem to be in the middle of both of these statements. Most of us pick one or pick the other. 
You see, God is clearly telling us, hey, call it for what it is, but he's also telling us to call it for what it is with the right attitude and motive. So before you ever think of righteously judging someone, you need to read the rest of the text that we're about to read. Before you ever throw it into my face, Matt, the Bible says that you should not judge, so stay off me. You need to read the rest of the text. So what are we gonna do this morning? We're gonna read the rest of the text. That's all I know how to do, all right? Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six is gonna give us four reminders and five questions. The four reminders are just statements of truth. The five questions, let me just tell you up front, if you can't answer yes to every one of these five questions, then you don't need to be rebuking anyone. Here we go. Matthew chapter seven, verse one says this, do not judge, remember it's condemn, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. This is a scary verse, but remember it's about condemning with a critical spirit, not about pointing out right and wrong. Now this verse carries with it a right now connotation and an eternal connotation. What is it saying? It's saying that when you judge with a critical spirit on this earth, that other people are going to throw that critical spirit right back into your face. You say, Matt, what do you mean by that? I mean this, when you're a jerk all the time, people are going to be a jerk back to you, all right? When you're graceful and when you're godly and when you're life-giving, chances are people are going to be like that back to you. But there's also an eternal context here that you're going to be judged by the same measure that you're judging. And so the question is, is can a critical person really truly be a true believer? Why do you say that, Matt? Well, last time I checked, God removed our heart of stone and he gave us a heart of flesh. Last time I checked, he's already told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed is the merciful, for they will see the kingdom of God. Last time I checked, he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, if you forgive, others will forgive you. So if you're always finding yourself in a critical spirit role, you, what Jesus is saying, you need to check your heart. You need to see if God lives in you. You need to see if the love of God has washed over who you are. I also want to point out in verse 2 that there's a judgment coming. Now, we don't like to talk about this a whole lot because we like to go to the, the more happy parts of the Bible. But the judgment can go a lot of different ways. There's obviously a judgment of do we know Jesus, but the judgment here is not only do we know Jesus, but what are you doing with what Jesus has tasked you to do? That, there, there, there's another context here, and I want you to know that, that we should be living like that day is coming. So when I got to thinking about this week, I was like, holy moly, do I really want to stand before God and be judged with the same standard that I'm judging other people with? If my answer is yes, then I'm probably judging righteously. But if my answer is no, that I'm just being a harsh critic of people, then I probably need to change. But I want you to keep reading because Jesus tries to use some humor here. And Jesus, you don't think of Jesus being funny, but he tries it here. You're gonna see why in just a minute. Look at verse three. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How do you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet 
and I love the second part, and tear you to pieces. What is it saying here? I think Jesus in this text is teaching us what it looks like to judge righteously and not judge critically. You see, Jesus gives us four reminders here, and I'm gonna give them to you. Number one is this. He's showing us that we see that there really is an order to, to righteous judgment. There really is an order to judging righteously. And what is that order? The order is, is that I always focus on me first. I always focus on my soul first. I always focus on my condition before the Lord before I ever turn it to anyone else in this life. We see it in verse three, right? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Skip down to the last part of verse five. First, take the plank out of your eye. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying that righteous judgment only happens when it begins internally in our heart when we stand before the king and we allow him to cleanse us and we take what is not allowing us to have clear sight of God out of our eyes. That's what he's saying. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love Spurgeon. After we are ourselves sanctified, we are bound to be the eyes of the blind and the correctors of unholy living, to which all the church said, amen, right? But look at what he said, but not until then. But not until then. You know what that means? That means that if we're to put this thing on the scale of how much time I'm really worried about your life versus how much time I'm really worried about my life, that my life should win every time. Every time. Church, we need to hear that. Number two, I think he tells us this, that we see that there is a reason to judge rightly. There's a reason. But Matt, the Bible says do not judge. You got the wrong context here. We're talking about righteous judgment. There's a reason to judge rightly. And what's the reason? We see it all over the text. It's to restore people to clear vision of who Jesus is. That's where our role is as believers, as teachers, as people who know other people. Our role is to examine ourselves and then walk hand in hand with other people so that they can glorify God with their lives. That, can I just tell you that's the only reason that God did not remove you from this planet at the moment of your salvation was so that you could represent him. So that you could bring other people to a clear vision of who he is. Personal repentance brings clear vision of who God is and what he wants to be in our lives. Listen, we are his hands and we are his feet and we are his mouthpiece. Look at verse five again. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's the purpose of this text. The purpose of this text is that everybody have clear vision to who God is. Why? Because God is a selfish God and he can do that because he's God. He's God. There's a reason to judge rightly. There's a reason just not to go, well, you know, it is what it is. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. It's not what the text says. Number three, we see this, is that truth matters in judging rightly. Truth matters. And, and I just want you to feel this for a minute because this whole text is leading towards the plank and the speck coming out. You know what that means? That means that it is not our role to see around the issues in our life. It is our role to have God remove the issues from our life. You see, as culture, what have we tried to do? 
we've tried to look at these hot button issues and just say, well, let's just see around them. No, 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 no. God says they need to come out. They need to come out to restore our vision. This was a tough one for our world today because we think that removing God's standards and changing God's standards is part of our role on this planet. It's not. Truth matters. God's word matters. We see this in verse six. I mean, we see this all over in verse five, that God's truth is for the speck to come out. Now look at number four. This one's a little tough. But we also see Jesus say that there are some, number four, that will never listen to being judged rightly. There are some. Where do you see that, Matt? Verse six, right? What did he say? Don't cast your pearls in front of pigs and dogs. What, is it, what does he mean by that? That's one of the hardest verses in the New Testament, by the way, that we don't have time to do justice. But here's what that means. Pearls is the truths and the love and the hope of God. And eventually Jesus says this to us. Hey, listen, Matt, there are some people that are so critical, that are so harsh, that are so rough and so aggressive towards you and the gospel that eventually you need to back off from conversations with them and just allow my spirit to work in them. That's what he says. And some of you know exactly what this means because you've got people in your life that you've just had to purposefully just back from and just say, God, I'm I'm gonna pray and God, I'm gonna ask you for wisdom of when I can speak. But other than that, God, I'm just, casting my, I'm just casting these pearls in front of these pigs and they're turning against me fast. They're turning against me. When he says the word dogs here, he's not meaning your snuggly little house pet. He's meaning a pack of wild dogs that may be coming at you. And he's saying, hey, sometimes you just gotta back away and go, God, you're bigger than I am. And so God, I'm just gonna ask you to have this situation. I love uh, Matthew 15, 14, when Jesus says, hey, leave them. They are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, they're just gonna fall into a ditch. Remember Paul in Acts 18, he gets so frustrated by the Corinthians, Jews, that they're coming against him so aggressively that he finally is just like, hey, all right, I gave it a go. Now I need to go somewhere else. In fact, Timothy 3.10, he says, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. And then after that, I just have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. That's strong language right there. That means that eventually there are some people in our lives that we just need to back away from, that we just need to call it a day. We just need to say, God, you were bigger than me. I'm gonna pray for wisdom in this situation. Do I love them? Yes. Do I pray for for them? Yes. Do I continually try to rebuke them? No. You back away. Do you know why you back away? Because there are so many opportunities where people's hearts are receptive that we should go for them. So what are we seeing in all this? I know this is, oh, this is a lot. We're seeing that obviously there's a balance to speak the truth, to measure, to discern, to righteously judge, but we love people. We're we're seeing that we should be people that just call evil for what it is. It's evil. But we should always operate in love, fleeing condemnation of anyone. But how do we do this? That's the question. And I'm I'm gonna be just straight up honest with you. I've struggled with this all week. How can I teach us how to do this? I think this is one of the hardest things that we as believers deal with. But I think Jesus gives us five questions gives us five quick questions right here that I just wanna give you to be able to sit on and think through this week. And listen, if you cannot answer yes to every one of these questions, hit the pause button. Hit the pause button. Number one, here's the question I want you to ask yourself in a rebuking situation, in a righteous judgment situation. Number one, am I giving life 
or am I solely judgment pronouncing? All right, am I giving life or am I just solely pronouncing a judgment on someone? In other words, what is the motivation for the conversation? If the motivation for you having a conversation with anyone over an issue is anything other than you locking arms with them to be more like Jesus, then hit the pause button. Hit the pause button. You see, I feel like sometimes that God has, I feel like sometimes we feel like God has made us the moral police for some reason. Listen, God's bigger than that. He don't need us. God has invited us into the conversation of allowing people to know him and to show other people who he is. You see, I, I just want us to think about how Jesus did this. Do you know that every time, other than the Pharisees, and that's a special case, Every time Jesus rebuked someone, every time Jesus judged someone in the New Testament, he did. He judged people, right? He did it all the time. But what happened next? There was always a gospel offer. There was always an offer of a better hope, a better life, a more fulfilled living. There was a gospel offer in the discerning correction and it made it righteous. It wasn't just a truth bomb spit into someone's face to feel better about myself. That's what we do a lot of times. Am I casting judgment or am I offering life? I can't answer yes to that. Run away. Number two, have I honestly dealt with my sin before looking to the sins of others. Have I honestly dealt with my sin before looking to the sins of others? There was a study done a while back that a book called Unchristian uh, has given us. It, Gabe Lyons wrote this book along with a couple of others and, and it's, it's a couple years old. And in this book, what they did was they took, they took young people that were not Christians and they gave them a list. I can't remember if it was 50 or 100 words. And they said, hey, we want you to describe who Christians are. Describe. Pick the top three words that you think Christians are. Lots of words. Loving, kind, giving, hopeful, promised, all kinds of words. But unfortunately, none of those words were the top words. 87% of non-Christian young people listed one word as the top word, and it was the word judgmental. Judgmental. Can I tell you what will solve this? When we start looking inwardly first. By no means, listen to me, hear me clearly, do not take this out of context from me. By no means am I saying that we shouldn't call evil for evil, truth for truth. I, I, you know me better than that. But what I am saying is this, it should always come from a place of a receptive heart for us walking with Jesus first. First, look at verse three, it tells us, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in someone else's eye? Can, can I just tell us that it's time for us to quit picking our pet sins to condemn and quit hiding the ones that we know we're really good and secretive about? because that's why they call us judgmental. It's time for us to deal with our hearts first. And out of the overflow, listen, do you know what happens when we deal with our hearts first? God continually sanctifies us. We walk more into his presence. And then when we do deal with people, we deal with them of grace. We deal with them with harmony and we deal with them from a position of come with me as we follow 
Jesus together. Jesus says, start with you. We're only allowed to judge righteously when our sin and our repentance and our submission has taken place. Then the judgment is righteous and not condemning. Number three question. If you can't answer yes to that one, stay out of the conversation. Number three, if you can't answer, if you can't answer yes to this one, stay out. Here it is. Am I focusing on restoration and wholeness and not just a win? And not just a win. Now, this one's gonna step on some toes. And here's why I know. We all love to win. We all love to win arguments. We all love to win conversations. We all love to win. I've already confessed that I am so competitive. I will argue with you about anything. But that's not righteous. It's not righteous. You see, the goal is not to be right. Listen to me closely. The goal is to be helpful. The ultimate goal is not just for me to prove a point. The ultimate goal is for me to look at a person and say, you can be restored to the harmony of how God has created you. That might mean salvation. That might mean walking in a new direction. What is the goal of the text? Verse five, we've said it five times now. The goal of the text is for, text is for clearly to remove the speck. That's the goal, right? The goal of the text, verse five, clearly to remove the, the log and the speck. Look, the goal is not for me to feel more holy because I crunched you in an argument. If you can't answer yes to that, is my goal restoration? Then stay out of it. Number four, this one's gonna get me right here. Here goes the, we like Matt. Number four, am I acting from a place of personal relationship? Am I acting from a place of personal relationship? Look, if in a conversation when your judgment begins to rise up, if you do not have a personal relationship with the person that you are sparring with, stay out of it. Stay out of it. I never saw this till this week. Look at verse five. Look at what Jesus said. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. We saw that. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck. Look at what he says. From your brother's. I. You know why I use the word brother here? Because brother is a relational in community term. Brother is a term where Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me and he's saying, look, if you're not in fellowship and if you're not in family and if you're not in community with others, you cannot righteously judge them. Listen, here's the truth. Righteous judgment only happens in the context of relationship. Only. Fighting with strangers does not produce gospel fruit. I promise you, it doesn't. I've never seen a string of messages on Facebook about 25 deep that went, ah, oh, thank you, I just gave my life to Jesus. No, you just look like a buffoon, all right? That's it. Listen, can I just beg you? If you're not operating from a place and a context of relationship, please don't feel like you need to speak into everything because you don't. Well, Matt, what if they never hear? Fair point. Two things to that. Number one, let's pray that somebody in relationship with them comes alongside of them. 
But point number two, why not go build a relationship with somebody that is not thinking like you and then pray over months of time when they're in your home and you're in their home that God will open up a gospel opportunity for you and for me through biblical fellowship to go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You see how it works in relationship. Listen, truth bombs without relationship rarely affects anything other than making us look more judgmental. It doesn't. Without relationship, it is so easy for me just to want to squash you and not restore you. It just doesn't work. Massive public debates don't work. You want to see how this is done incredibly well? Look at the confrontation of David and 2 Samuel and Nathan. And watch how he comes beside this guy that he knows in love and in caring and walks him to the throne of grace. Here's the fifth one. Number five, it's the last one. I'm done. Have I prayerfully asked God for wisdom? For wisdom. Now, what does this mean? This is the hard part, the last verse, right? Have I prayerfully asked God, is this a time that I need to speak into this person? Or God, is this a time where I feel like I have tried this over and over and over and over again? And maybe this is a time, God, where I just need to trust that your spirit is bigger than me. And I just need to say, God, maybe now's not the time. If you can't honestly say that I have prayed and asked God for wisdom in this situation, then don't get into the situation. Don't. Let me roll all this together for a minute. I hope you're seeing this. Jesus clearly says, it is our role to speak truth, to call evil, evil, to call right, right. But he clearly says, it is not our role to condemn. To condemn. How do we stay away from that? We ask, what's the motivation? We ask, am I dealing with my heart rightly? We ask, is this something? Am I acting from a place of relationship? And we ask, God, is this the time? Is this the time? Look, here's what I know. Some of you right now are in the thick of a lot of conversations that this deals with. Here's my prayer for this week. Two things. Number one, that you would just say, God, give me wisdom, when to speak, and when to allow you to speak. But number two, here's my big prayer, is that even in conversations that we have had previously to this week, that some of us would just eat some crow this week and go back to people that it was not righteous judgment and go, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry about how I did this. I'm really sorry about how I approached this. I'm really sorry that I did not righteously walk into this moment and you restart a relationship that over time can build into you speaking life into a person. Do not judge or you'll be judged. Lord, today, thank you for this message, tough message from the Sermon on the Mount. And God, I just ask today you would press this into believers' hearts. That God, we would know how to respond when somebody throws this in our face. But also, too, Jesus, that we would know, we would know how to be proactive 
and righteously bringing wholeness to people that are off. God, give us the courage to stand when we need to stand and give us the wisdom of knowing how to stand to point people to you and not just a win. And God, I'm just praying that even just this morning as people hear this, that that God, this message is really your message to us. That yes, Jesus, you are the judge. You have every right to condemn us, but you've offered us life. God, I pray if there are hearts in this room that need to give their life to you today, Jesus, that today they know that 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 still small voice in their heart is you, Jesus, calling them. And that God, during this invitation song, they would they would respond by either reaching out to our next steps text and just saying, hey, I think I need Jesus. Can I talk to somebody? Or God, that they would just step away from their seat and they would just walk down to the front over here and just allow one of our counselors just to talk and pray with them. God, I'm praying for the people in the room that have relationships that, that this morning we stepped into. God, give them boldness this week to repent, but also to promote truth. God, I'm praying for people that are trying to decide if this is the place they need to belong and be home in. God, I hope they know that this is the heart of this church. It's to preach truth, loving other people, and restoring wholeness to those who need you, Jesus. God, walk with us in this next moment of conversation and decision. And it's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.